Welcome to the Science of Sex, a podcast about the ins and outs of the latest research about everyone's favorite topic. Here's Dr. Jana, an NYU professor of human sexuality, and Joe, a guy who's a fan of sex. Dr. Jana, how are you? Hi, Joe. I'm good. This is episode 53, the fall finale. Fall finale, yeah. This is the the last one. Before our holiday break. Right. We are going to take... About a month? Yeah. Are you going to go anywhere? You haven't told me. I may be going somewhere. What do you mean may? Come on now. I know. <laughs> I always go somewhere. <laughs> I know. Yes, that's, yes, yes, yes. So I'm taking a little surfing slash writing sabbatical in Costa Rica. Okay. For five and a half, six weeks. Wow, you are living the tough life. Life is tough. Nobody wants to be Dr. Shiana. <laughs> well, you know how it is. The academic calendar yeah. gives you these long breaks in the winter and the summer. And mm-hmm. depending on how the, the, the calendar works out, you get somewhere between four and six weeks off from teaching. Yeah. And I like to go somewhere warm during that time. But it will be a working... I don't know if you heard this Here part. It's a working the writing, holiday. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the writing part. In between, in between the breaks of surf. I get it. Yeah, in between your, your, your no, hanging no, ten, as they say. No, no, it'll be a lot more writing <laughs> than surfing, okay. I imagine. And that, I mean, that's the plan. That's the plan. I'm being very serious about this. Okay. You know, sometimes I during these breaks, I go and just travel. Mm-hmm kind of move around, explore new countries and whatever. This is not one of those. This okay. is, I'm going to one place and staying there for the entire six weeks. All right. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, Dr. Jana is probably on the beach, but also writing. So don't you think it's yes. all pleasure. All right, cool. <laughs> what are you doing for the holidays? Uh, I'll probably just chill out with the family. You know, mm-hmm. I'm more of the celebrate Christmas kind of guy on this podcast. Oh, right. Yeah, there is Christmas. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. and New Year's and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So I'll be doing a lot of that stuff. And it's my birthday. <gasps> it's your birthday? Yeah, Joe, on the, birthday? December 27th is my birthday. I'll hope I'll be getting a nice like birthday text from you. You totally will be. Right. Here, I'm putting it in my calendar. But you didn't have it down already? I, I did not. Sorry. Uh, all right. Everybody put it in the calendar. December 27th is my birthday. All right. And, uh, and so, you know, since we're friends, you should know that, but that's okay. That's all, that's fine. I know you're making a face. <laughs> I should. Okay. Yeah. And speaking of friends, we do have a friend of yours on today's episode, correct? Yeah, we do have Dr. Jessica Wood from York University up in Canada, and she's one of my conference buddies. She's one of my favorites, actually. We met when I think we were both grad students and oh. remained friends. And she's going to talk to us about a new study that she got. She just got published on why people have sex and how that affects their sexual and relationship satisfaction, and also is if that's different between people in monogamous versus consensually non-monogamous relationships. Oh, so this study covers us here. We got yeah. team, team monogamy mm-hmm. and team uh, open relationship over there, so that's good. I like that. <laughs> let's see who wins. <laughs> hey, let's not make this a competition, Dr. Chad. Right, right. It's not a competition. <laughs> All right, so before our holiday break and before Jessica gets on the program here, we want to remind people about the Patreon page we have because, you know, we do this podcast for the love of the game. We're not making buku bucks, as the kids say. <laughs> I don't know if they're saying that. But uh, <laughs> but people can actually support a lot of the work you do with not just the podcast, but all the the, uh, the sex science socials you host and all the research you're doing mm-hmm. and, and spreading Social the word media, and all yeah. that stuff. So mm-hmm. what is the Patreon page again? It's patreon.com slash Dr. Jana. And so I would really love for people to consider, if they can afford, obviously, supporting this podcast at whatever level they can, you know, throw us a, a few bucks, five bucks, seven bucks, mm-hmm. whatever it is, because it does matter. We do this every week mm-hmm. <laughs> and put in a lot of time and effort and energy because we love it. And uh, it would be nice if you could support us. And the website is patreon.com slash Dr. Jana. Yes. Of course, all that information is available on the Science Sex podcast.com mm-hmm. so you have details there that's how you can get a hold of us in, if you have any questions for Dr. Jana oh and you know what and, and speaking of which for, uh, you know asking us questions we didn't do a sex question palooza the, uh, at the end of the year how do we You're forget right. to well, do that we, well we didn't forget to do that there was just so many cool interesting guests to okay. get on the show who wanted to come on the show before the end of the year so we have to push okay. the next sex question palooza to the beginning of 2019 but we will do one so send us your questions cool and you go to the website, sciencesexpodcast.com. So, Dr. Jana, tell us about your friend, Dr. Jessica Wood. Yay! <laughs> Dr. Jessica Wood is a research associate in the Department of Psychology at York University and the Department of Psych at the University of Guelph. Her research examines how sexual motivations are associated with relational outcomes, such as sexual and relationship satisfaction, 
depression, psychological need fulfillment, and sexual problems and challenges. She also conducts research on the determinants of sexual health behaviors and examines barriers to healthcare access for people with developmental disabilities. She's currently a research specialist with the Sex Information and Education Council of Canada, or CCAN. We have the CCAS in the U.S., uh, which is an awesome council about all things sex, health, and sex ed related. So, And that's the Canadian one. And that's the Canadian one, yes. So, Dr. Jessica Wood, welcome to the Science of Sex podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. Tell us a little bit about how you got to studying consensually non-monogamous relationships and, and why people are having them and having sex and all that. I've always been really interested, I mean, just generally in why people do the things they do and how that influences their various outcomes and particularly interested in people's sexual relationships. So it's kind of a, a nice... I don't know, merging of a bunch of my interests. When I did my master's thesis way back when I was interested in, in motives in general and people's motives in relationships, motives for sex, in reading through a bunch of theories and in listening to a bunch of talks during that time, I remember coming across some research about optimal sexuality by Dana Menard and Peggy Kleinplatz, who are researchers in Ottawa in Canada. And they did a presentation about some of the factors that are needed for these optimal sexual experiences to occur. And they went through a bunch of them. But as an aside, they mentioned, oh, and a lot of these people had sex consensually outside of their relationship. It didn't really play a huge role in that particular presentation or that particular research. But I was like, oh, that doesn't sound like a little aside. That sounds like a pretty big thing when you're talking about these long term relationships, because you know, we're at this time where our ideas and our narratives about romantic relationships place these kind of incredibly high expectations on romantic partners. So we're expected, you know, to receive and give love and comfort and support both uh, financially, emotionally, socially to our partners. But we're also expected to maintain this sexual excitement and fulfillment during the entirety of our relationship or there's something, quote unquote, wrong with our relationship. Right. And so hearing about how people were having these great sexual experiences in long-term relationships, but as an aside, they also had sex outside of the relationship, was really fascinating to me and kind of struck me um, as a very important part of this. And so that was kind of the beginning of why I wanted to explore this concept and also just being interested in the ideas around um, why we place such value on certain kinds of relationships, on monogamous relationships, and particularly on sexually monogamous relationships. So why is this view, how come we have this view that it is the highest form of relational commitment, that we view it as the quote unquote healthiest form of a committed relationships. Mm. And so mm. consensually non-monogamous relationships, I think, offer this really unique opportunity to look at need fulfillment, at motives, particularly sexual motives, and how needs are fulfilled in relationships that are different from our typical scripts and ideas and norms and understandings of relationships. Right. Because right. sexual needs and emotional needs are often met um, outside of, you know, a, a primary or monogamous partnership. And so when they're consensually dispersed, what does this mean for people? And that's kind of the, the idea that I was really curious to explore. I'm actually curious, this might be crazy, but this presentation that you're talking about by uh, Kleinplitz, do you remember where it was? Was that at a Quad S? No, it was oh, at the okay. University of Guelph or okay. the Guelph Sexuality Conference. It's funny because I heard them speak once at Quad S and they never really mentioned whether these people that they were talking about having these optimal sex even later in life because they were talking about right these couples who had mm -hmm. been together for a really long time and were still having great sex. And they didn't really mention whether they were op open or not. And at the end of the talk, I got up and asked, I was like, um, what percentage of these people were in open relationships? And they're like, um, uh, most of them. I was like, ah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's good to know. A kind of a, an important aside. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that we had the same thought. <laughs> I know. That's All those years ago. <laughs> All those years ago. Perfect. See, see, she's special. Yeah, no, she she's definitely preaching to the choir when it when it comes to Dr. Shana, because all I see is Dr. Shana's head just popping. Yep, yeah, uh huh, uh huh. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but I mean, we all we we have the same thought process because there is something there. Obviously, your study looked at something that is actually quite 
dear and near to my own research, the self-determination theory of motivation. And I've used SDT for looking at hookups and and、uh, well-being. All right, can we translate so, that yes, to English, please? Yes, we'll translate that、yes. to English. Thank、so. you. <laughs> the idea behind, well, you know. Motivation, you know, why we do things. We we now know from research on in, in multiple different areas that why you do things matters for how that is going to affect you going forward. What it affects how well you do things, it, how effective you are at trying to do what you're doing. It affects how you feel about it, how positive or negative you feel about it, your well-being, and、uh, in in the case of、uh, Jessica's study, your sexual and relationship satisfaction. So there. Better motives to、okay. do things, and there are worse motives to do things. And what's the SDT thing? So SDT is a the self determination theory is one of these theories of motivation, and not just motivation. And I'll let I'll let Jessica explain a little more about what that entails. But it is one of these theories of motivation that say there are these types of motives that are linked to better outcomes if you do things, including sex. You know, you're gonna. Feel better and, yeah, and happier, all that happier, jazz. Yes,、mm-hmm. more satisfied. If you have sex or anything else for these other reasons, you're not gonna feel as as good and as happy. And in fact, it might even negatively affect your well-being going forward. Okay. And so、um, they initially developed that in other areas of human behavior, but then a few people, Jessica included, have been applying it to sex or have applied it to sexual behavior. So take just, it away, Jessica. Take it away. <laughs> Tell us.、Right. Well, just just to start, I remember reading your paper before I knew you. Oh, really? This is really great research. I love this. And then I met you. I was like, Oh,、Aww. well, obviously she's amazing. <laughs> of course. So that's just a little aside. That's funny. Yeah. So to give you know background to the people, because I don't think we've ever talked about that research of mine. You know, my my research was looking at you know are these motives that. As the T says, are the good motives. If you hook up for these good motives, are you going to have better life satisfaction and lower anxiety, lower depression, and so on than if you hook up for the the bad motives? Yeah. And it was generally the the findings were generally consistent with that. If you did it for the right reasons, it was positive. If、wow. you did it for the Wrong reasons, it wasn't positive.、Wow. There was actually no negative effect in in my study for hookups done for the wrong reasons. It wasn't taking away from your well being, but it wasn't adding to your well being. Whereas if you were doing it for the right reasons, it was adding to your well being. And you did that? I did that. Wow. Yeah, and Jessica read it and she liked it. Wow, color, color me <laughs> impressed here. Wow. All right. I did. And you decided, but you decided to apply it to this more relational kind of、uh, setup of people <laughs> in relationships as opposed to、uh, hookups. But but before we go go there, let's let's、uh, unpack a yes, little、please. bit about what <laughs> SDT says and what are these different types of motives that are good versus bad. So as as you mentioned, Jana, it's one of these large. Overarching theories of motivation that we find in social psychology that people have applied to so many different areas of of study, and I think it also really provides this useful perspective for how a person's sexual motives are linked to things like need fulfillment and relational outcomes. So within this theory, there's different types of motivations that represent what's viewed as you know a continuum of self determination. So at one end, we have motives that. Are considered autonomous or intrinsic. So those would be motives that, you know, you're having sex for pleasure or to be close to a partner. Then in the middle, we have motives that reflect our values. So having sex because you think it's an important part of who you are, right?、Then、an important experience end, to have yeah, or something so like you that. You value it、mm-hmm. as as part of you, as、uh, part of your relationship. So at the other end, we have reasons that are more extrinsic. So we may have sex in order to manage feelings of guilt. Or shame, or we may have them to receive some kind of external reward, or because we are fearing some form of punishment. So maybe we're having sex because we don't want to have conflict with our partner, for example. We may also have sex because we're in a state of a motivation where we don't feel like we are in control of our own behavior. So we don't know why we're engaging in behavior; we're just going through the motions, or perhaps because we're being coerced into a behavior as well. So we have like this whole spectrum. I'm going to go over them again to kind of give people a little more chance to to repeat and, and digest and digest and、yes. give them some examples. So the most self determined or autonomous kind of reason is if you're really wanting it for pleasure. Right, like you're horny, you're attractive. If, if we're talking about sex, right? You're horny, you're attracted to the person. 
What else? Because you want to be close to the person. Oh, you right, want the to have that intimacy mm-hmm. because of the inherent pleasure. Of John that. always it's forgets subtle. that part. <laughs> she always forgets the intimacy <laughs> part. Well, it's, it's funny. This No, this is a good point because when I was doing the hookup research, the intimacy with a partner might not be super intrinsic motive because hookups might not carry a lot of intimacy. If, if this is a, a random one night stand with someone you barely know, then doing it for intimacy is not necessarily like it, it was just like a weird one yeah. where to put it. When you're talking about Literally. long-term relationship, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, when we talk about long-term relationship, having sex for intimacy sure. reasons is very intrinsic because that's a huge part it's of like the of cuddling, the, the afterglow, yeah. all that mm-hmm. jazz. You don't, but otherwise, you don't care if you're not worried about the intimacy, right? And it might not be an intrinsic motivation in the context of hookups, but it is in the context of relationships. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So, th- but that okay. So that's the kind of the most autonomous end of the spectrum then you have this kind of doing it because it's in line with your values you think it's important for your relationship or you think it's a good experience to have Mm -hmm. so you might not be super horny and doing it for pleasure in the moment but you're like no i should you know this this is good for me Mm -hmm. right Hmm. that sounds weird why so give me an example of of one of those i'm sorry to to throw you off course here but it seems like it seems like so i get the the first one's Uh pretty self-explanatory the second one so they're just happen to be there are they sitting there with a partner and the partner says hey let's do it and then be like okay is it that kind of thing in a thinking about the context of a longer term relationship it could be something where you know one person is thinking wow i'd really like to have sex and the other person is like Mm, like you know go for it or not i got it um but but then maybe the thought process is well i'm not feeling this you know reactive sexual desire but perhaps i'm thinking you know it's been a while and i think it's really important for the maintenance of a relationship that we do this right Uh, because if we don't have sex for a very long time perhaps that you know maybe we'll lose that closeness or something along those lines so thinking about it it's like this is good for our relationship so i think that it's important that we do this and then you just kind of go through the motions and lay there is that no (laughs) no but the thing is necessarily i mean it depends on how the how the interaction goes and what happens after that but i think sometimes in in various cases again depending on on the context but sometimes you might find that during that interaction as it progresses maybe that desire becomes present and you enjoy it more as it as it continues and in fact uh, we have that right. would f- may be more fulfilling than one where you're like oh i'm gonna do this but it's only because i don't want to fight with you and then you're like oh, i don't know if i want to continue this and then perhaps you may end up just not no. enjoying it yeah. you know so, so right you very often especially in long-term relationships as jess was saying you're not feeling it in that moment but you're sort of neutral like you yeah. know, I'm not anti having sex right now. And I know this is a good thing. Like, I, I generally like having sex with you, right? Hopefully not, not with you, Joe. Yeah, but, no, hey, listen. You know, uh, Anything's <laughs> possible. <laughs> you know that this is generally a pleasant, enjoyable experience to have with your partner. And it's good for your relationship. It brings you closer and all that. And so you decide that you're going you're gonna to go with it because of that. And as Jessica was saying, very often what happens in those situations is once you start doing something sexual and your body starts responding to that, it gets aroused. And then you realize, ooh, this does feel good. And then the desire kicks in. So that's all that responsive desire that we've talked about on the podcast before that's so important for people in long-term relationships. Because in long-term relationships, often, very often over time, you get to a point where you don't have a lot of that spontaneous horniness that just comes out of nowhere. Right, or the matching sex drive at the same time. Right, exactly. And so what you have to rely on in order to have sex is to be able to say yes to sex even when you're not super like crazy feeling yeah. it. It's almost like in a, in a non-sexual way, like if your partner wants to go see a movie, and you're like, yeah. I don't want to see that movie. But then all of a sudden you're there and you're like... This actually ain't that bad. Exactly. I usually give the exercise, going to the gym example. Like, you know, sometimes you're like, oh my God, I really don't feel like going. But then you get your ass there because you know that it's good for you. So your motive is not because, oh, I can't wait to work out. Your motive is, this is good for me. I should really do this. And you go and then you work out and you're like, oh my God, this feels so good. And I'm so glad I did the whole thing. Exactly. And in the hookup context, this, this is more of the, maybe I'm not super into this or I'm not sure how into this I am, but I think it's an important experience to have. Like mm-hmm. it's, a, it's important for me to experiment or I would like to do this because I want to experiment kind of thing. So that would be the equivalent, I think, of that type of motivation in the hookup scenario. And these, according to SDT, are kind of the relatively good reasons to do things, right? Yeah, these are, you know, kind of the 
more self-determined reasons, the more intrinsic reasons. And it's thought that when we have sex for these, you know, quote unquote, better reasons or these more self-determined reasons, then we will feel more fulfilled. So the theory suggests that we have these, you know, inherent psychological needs, these three uh, primary needs, which are competence, so feelings of confidence and efficacy, autonomy, which is a sense of agency and feeling like we can endorse our own behaviors and relatedness, which is a desire to connect. So when we have sex for these more self-determined reasons like pleasure, like closeness, like uh, wanting a new experience, then we will feel more fulfilled in terms of our autonomy, competence and relatedness. And this will contribute to feeling uh, increased sexual and relationship satisfaction or other indicators of well-being as well. Right, right. So I think I think it's really interesting. We don't talk much about these needs as so critical, but the way SDT talks about them, they're like the psychological nutrients, the equivalent mm-hmm. of what, you know, whatever food what might be, like the good stuff that you yeah. put in your body to nourish your body. These three things are the psychological equivalents of, of those nutrients for like your the soul. proteins and carbohydrates. Exactly. That you yeah. Need. They're, they're proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, feel, yeah, I think that's a great analogy because you need this in order to thrive, to be psychologically kind of healthy and fulfilled and feeling like you're growing, right? To feel. And I'm going to repeat them again because I think they're so important. Competence, feeling like you know what you're doing. You can do the things that you want to do. You're capable of doing it. Feeling autonomy, right? that you have power. You're in control. In control mm-hmm. to make the decisions that you want to make. And, and uh, you're in charge, basically, of your, of your own life in whichever aspect we're talking about. And then relatedness. Feeling connected to other people. We're human beings. We're, we're, as humans, we need that connection. And so in whatever we do, being able to feel that relatedness, that connection is, is really important. And so we want to think about having these needs met in whatever behaviors we engage in, including sex. And so as Jessica was saying, having sex for these more autonomous reasons feeds basically these psychological okay. needs, which in turn make you happier and healthier and less depressed and less anxious and more satisfied and all that. So this all sounds great, Jess uh-huh, and Jana, uh-huh. but I have a feeling there's a dark side to this, right? <laughs> there, there's a negative, there's something on the other side of the spectrum, right? I, I feel that's coming. The other, <laughs> what do you call it? The, the shoe's about to drop, right? <laughs> Should we drop the shoe? <laughs> <laughs> Let's drop it. Good. Yeah, so we kind of really developed the good side of the continuum of motives. So let's, let's uh, delve a little bit into the less good continuum yeah. <laughs> of motives because as much as we would like not people don't always engage in sex or other activities only for these intrinsic and autonomous uh, reasons okay so let's kind of go down the continuum from least bad yes. to to <laughs> most bad yeah <laughs> right so we we ha- kind of at the other end here we have more what are typically called extrinsic reasons These can be a variety of different reasons. So they may be more internal to the person. So this is where you might have sex because you want to feel better about yourself. Perhaps you feel ashamed of something or you want to enhance your your self-esteem. So you're managing these feelings of guilt, uh, of shame or pride or fear. So there's those kind of internal types of um, reasons. So, for example, having sex because you are afraid that, you know, if you don't have sex with your partner, they're going to leave your relationship Mm -hmm. or they're going to Mm -hmm. they're going to end your relationship. Having sex because you're feeling undesirable and you think that having sex with this particular person will make you feel like you are you have some meaning or that you are valuable in some way. Right. That's the self-esteem. That sounds less good. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's other ones. So people might have sex because they're driven by these external rewards uh, or to avoid punishments. So, you know, external rewards might be. um, Wait, let's give Joe a chance to give us some examples of what he thinks would be external rewards and punishments. Uh, Maybe having sex for uh, for revenge. For revenge. Yeah, that would be an extrinsic one. Yeah. What else? Um, For career. For career to get some yeah career benefits. Money is often the one that we we hear the the most in terms of an external reward. But when we're talking about relationships, uh, it could be, you know, you're thinking about, well, I need my partner to spend more time with me. So I need to give them sex so that they do what I want, mm. uh, for example. And, and so some, so some an relational manipulation in, yes, in exactly. that context. Yeah. That sounds healthy. 
Exactly. <laughs> See, even Joe can tell that these are yeah. not very good motives for, for having sex. I don't like the way you phrase that, but okay, <laughs> sure. And then the final kind of least autonomous reason is the A motivation piece, as you mentioned. Uh, uh, unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, so this is where people do not feel like they are in control of their behavior. So this could be a form of coercion. Mm -hmm. um, where a person is forced or coerced into performing a behavior they did not wish to engage in. Or it could be where someone feels like, I don't know why I did it. I just did. And they feel like they're just going through the motions. Like there's almost like a numbness. Like a, they're just not participating. They're just, they're present, but like they don't know why they're doing it. from the experience mm -hmm. kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's a good way of describing it. It's almost like we say dead inside. That sounds really bad. Mm -hmm. I think we're in the area yeah. where it sounds really bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely the area of what sounds really bad. Yeah. 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 And there's, it's funny, there is a bit of a different quality to the, like, I don't, I don't really know why is that, that kind of numbness or detachment. And then the active, oh, I clearly did not want this. And yet mm -hmm. somebody kind of coerced me or forced me into it. But both of those would be doing it, even though you didn't want to do it is just, it, it has a different kind of quality of experience. Yeah, they're often kind of lumped into similar types of questions, which I think is, is somewhat problematic in terms of how these things are measured. Right. Uh, but they both do indicate lack of motivation, really, to engage in it. Yeah. And so doing sex or really anything for these reasons, from the, those internal guilt, shame, pride, self-esteem, through the external rewards and punishments to the A motivation piece, all of that are kind of as... Joe, so astutely <laughs> noted, and doesn't sound very healthy. No. What does that do to the to the psychological needs fulfillment? Well, theoretically, and you know, we do see this in research as well. Theoretically, these kinds of motives would, uh, you know, contribute to feeling less. Uh, autonomous or less competent or feeling less of a connection in terms of how you relate to others. And when we're feeling less fulfilled in, in terms of those three components, then we're going to feel less satisfied in life or less psychologically well or less happy in our relationships, whether that's sexually or relationally. And there's been some research looking at these things in the context of sex, as we already mentioned, my research in, in hookups, which definitely found that even though I didn't look at the needs fulfillment, I just went straight from motives to these well-being outcomes that I looked at. But there have been a couple of other studies looking at sex in and, and motives and need, needs fulfillment in monogamous relationships, right? Yeah, there's been a few studies that have looked at that. And they do find, you know, kind of what we're talking about here is that more self-determined motives. So these you know, ones related to your values or pleasure or closeness uh, are related to or associated with, you know, higher levels of need fulfillment. So feeling more autonomous, feeling more competent, feeling more uh, connected to others. And this feeling of fulfillment is related to higher levels of relationship satisfaction and well-being. Do any of those parts of the spectrum uh, sometimes, because I'm just thinking, for example, like collide, can you go have sex for the wrong reasons, but really enjoy it and owning it? So is there any possible where that spectrum kind of bends in a spot where it's sort of like bad, but it's also good at the same time? I think that's a really good question because then it's kind of, well, how are we defining, you know, what is intrinsic? So if for you, the, the, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of, it's because it's viewed on the spectrum, right? So it yeah. doesn't mean that there's going to necessarily be always terrible outcomes or always great outcomes. Uh it's just generally, if you're having sex for these more self-determined reasons, you'll generally see more positive outcomes. Right. But in terms of breaking you down within each in sexual interaction, yeah, you may sometimes have sex because you want to feel more desired. And this may be really great. And you might actually feel like, oh, I feel more desired mm -hmm. and more competent. And that might help with your satisfaction long term. But it doesn't mean that it, like, if you're having sex over and over and over for these types of right. reasons versus some of these more, I guess, self-determined or positive reasons, then that's kind of where we start to think about what are the long-term effects of these right. more self-determined versus less self-determined reasons. And we see this in, in other research on sexual motives, not from this particular theory, but other theories that look at similar types of motives. So if you have sex for reasons that are like, well, I don't want to get in a conflict with my partner, so I'm going to have sex with them mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. And you do that 
over for a long yeah. period of time. This is associated with lower levels of satisfaction over time, even though there may be some benefits in the short term. Yeah, I mean, this actually brings up a lot of good points. So thank you, Joe. You're welcome. <laughs> That's why they pay me the big bucks. I think we, we should... <laughs> Can they pay me the big bucks no. too? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so I, I think it's important to distinguish the reasons why you're getting yourself into these, these uh, interactions and then what are the outcomes that follow. You can actually have multiple reasons for doing it. Mm-hmm. Every every interaction. So there's a lot of complexity there, right? It's not like we have only one and only one reason for having sex every single time we do it. Right. There are times when you might be feeling both a little bit of pleasure or a little bit of value uh, and a little bit of maybe guilt and a little bit of, hey, I'm not really feeling the greatest today. Maybe this is going to help boost my you know feeling, whatever. And, you know, well, you know, this person might actually be a good whatever He could be a partner one uh, day or something. Or, yeah. yeah, or yeah. or a mentor yeah. or I don't know, whatever. So humans are complex. It's not an either or thing. Mm-hmm. So you can certainly go into a sexual interaction with multiple motives playing playing a role into why you're good doing it. Good and bad. It. Like Both good said. and bad, yeah. yeah. And then as as Jessica then was saying, the the outcomes, it's not it's not a one to one ratio <laughs> that each time you do it for the good reasons, you're yeah. going to have only positive outcomes and each time you do it for the wrong you know, you could go into it for great reasons but then it could be a horrible experience just because of other of other things, yeah. not not because of your reasons, but it could be a bad experience because it was a shitty partner or because something terrible happened or I don't know, you, you, you got an STI, you got pregnant when you didn't yeah. want to and then that is going to end up having negative, that experience is going to affect you negatively or is going to have negative outcomes even though you went into it for the wrong reasons and, and then vice versa. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not a one-to-one ratio, but it is, it's a general pattern. And again, as Jessica was saying, the the cumulative yeah. effect of of doing something for the kind of the bad reasons or the worst reasons uh, is is particularly yeah. concerning. Doing it once because you weren't quite feeling it and whatever is much easier to kind of bounce back from. Yeah. Whereas if you're in a in a long term relationship or you know with the hookup stuff, right? If you're doing these, if you do one hookup because you're sort of eh. Is one thing, but if you keep hooking up for these yeah. kind of bad reasons, then that will start to take its toll. Okay, so I want to move on to a little bit about what you are actually studying or looking at in this particular study, where instead of just taking looking at monogamous couples, which is what some of these previous studies have found, you decided to look at both monogamous and consensually non-monogamous folks. Why were you thinking that things might play out differently for these open relationship folks than the monogamous folks? Again, I was really primarily interested in looking at some of these ideas around uh, our normative understandings about relationships. So the monogamous relationship that's always held up as the quote unquote best or most healthy or most satisfying or the, the, the ideal way of being in a relationship. And Consensually non-monogamous relationships really provide this interesting and unique opportunity to look at some of the concepts in from self-determination theory because they're often their sexual and emotional needs are dispersed among multiple partners. So in monogamous relationships, you may be able to disperse your emotional needs to some extent with friends or family or colleagues, etc. But sexual needs, it is incredibly taboo for people in monogamous relationships to have their sexual needs met outside right. of their monogamous partnership, whether that is with another person or even on their own through masturbation or viewing pornography, mm. etc. I find this discussion around sexual monogamy and sexual need fulfillment very fascinating and I think consensually non-monogamous relationships provide a really awesome way of looking at need fulfillment in relationships where there are multiple people who are consensually dispersing their need fulfillment especially the sexual need fulfillment. Joe Joe is that sounds so hot (laughs) (laughs) he's not he's not liking this term dispersing Or where they are, where there's multiple people who are right. able to meet your sexual All right. needs. That sounds a little better, Doc. So, <laughs> so you wanted to, so right, so then you wanted to see whether there would be some differences in in the amount of autonomous versus non-autonomous reasons that open folks versus monogamous folks were having, and whether they would have different levels of needs satisfaction, and then different levels of sexual and relationship satisfaction at the end of that, right? Yeah, exactly. So there may be differences in the types of motives that people in CNM relationships report. 
that could impact their outcomes in their relationships. So for example, even though, you know, a lot of monogamous people uh, report reasons for sex that are, you know, pleasure and intimacy. And so we would expect also that those things to be important for consensually non-monogamous individuals as well. But we also see in research and the other research we've done about motives for engaging in consensual non-monogamy generally is that people talk about the importance of need fulfillment. They talk so much about the importance of authenticity and personal growth and autonomy. And so it's possible or we thought maybe it's possible that people would report different sexual motives that mm -hmm. really emphasize this idea of autonomy, of, uh, you know, being able to expand, you know, personal growth or expand one's experiences and also just sexual variety, because in a monogamous relationship, maybe right. sexual variety plays out in certain areas with the same person, but it, it may play out in a different way with consensually non-monogamous people in terms of what they're experiencing and the types of sex they're having and, and how many partners are able to uh, experience that with. Right, right. So, so what did you do? Just a super quick methods. You know, you had how many couples of this and that and you asked them what? So we recruited workers from Amazon or people from Amazon's Mechanical Turk and they completed an online survey. And so the, what we did at first was screened a whole bunch of people, like 5,000 people to see, Damn. you know, did they meet our criteria for the study? So they had to be in a CNM relationship. They had to have at least one committed partner and have sex at least once in the past month. And then we invited back those people who fit the criteria. Then we wanted to get a monogamous sample that were matched very similarly on some of these key demographic variables like gender and racial identity and age so that we could have a sample mm. of CNM people and monogamous people that were somewhat similar to begin with. So you started with finding the concession now monogamous or CNM folks. And then because yeah. there are fewer of them out there, right? And then you try to find monogamous folks who are kind of similar in demographics. Yes. Gotcha. So of that 5,000 people, how many did you end up with in the final study? In the final study, we had about 350 participants, about half were women, about half were or identified as women, about half identified as men with a small number who identified as genderqueer or had multiple identities. And half were monogamous and half were in CNM relationships, right? About that. Okay. What did you ask them about? You asked them about the last time they had sex or how did you assess motives and need fulfillment? So we asked them a bunch of different questions about their relationships. We asked them about the, their last sexual interaction. And to do this, we looked at a measure of 52 different motives that are looking at that range of the sexual motives on the self-determination continuum that we talked about. So there's mm. motives that are on the kind of more self-determined end, the pleasure and intimacy ones. There's ones that are in the middle, which are like the values. And then there's the more extrinsic and amotivated reasons. So this measure looks at all different kinds of those motives. And it asks people to rate like the last time you had sex with your partner, please, you know, identify like how relevant each of these reasons were. Right. And so we asked them about that. We also asked them to complete a measure of need fulfillment. So how much their needs for autonomy, competence and relatedness were met during that sexual interaction. And so it, it kind of talks about ask questions around like during this into sexual interaction with my partner, I felt very, uh, you know, cared for or I felt like I had I was very I had choice in my activities, etc. Mm -hmm. And so it, it kind of hits on those three components. And then we also asked them to complete a measure of relationship satisfaction and sexual satisfaction with that partner. So you had people's reasons for having sex for the most recent time they had sex and also how much their needs, their three psychological needs were met during that most recent sexual encounter and then a more general level of sexual and relationship satisfaction with their partner. Yeah. Cool. And, and that was for everybody. That was for everybody the CNMs and the models. Okay, cool. And what did you find? All right. So <laughs> first, <laughs> first was there a difference? First of all, was there a difference in the types of reasons that monogamous and non-monogamous folks reported for having sex their most most recent time? Yeah. So in general, the monogamous and CNM individuals reported very similar reasons for sex. So we're talking about kind of smaller overall group differences when I talk about these differences. But generally, they reported very similar reasons. Uh, so for example, if you think about like the items, the top 10 most common reasons that people cited for having sex, six out of 10 of those were exactly the same for the CNM and monogamous mm. folks. 
So people are reporting overall very similar reasons. Generally, they're reporting more of these self-determined reasons. Uh, so, you know, more pleasure, more intimacy, etc. But we did find some small overall group differences. And these are in some of the just three different kinds of reasons. So the one is called the personal intrinsic reasons. So this is where we're talking about um you know, being close to a partner or because the activity the activity of sex itself is enjoyable. So the sheer pleasure of sexual activity mm -hmm. because they're really excited about it. Mm -hmm. So CNM participants scored higher on those higher. motives. Hmm. They also scored higher on what's called integrated identified reasons. And that's when we're talking about valuing sex. So thinking about how uh, you know, I think sex is an important part of a relationship or I see it as a healthy activity. It's an important part of who I am, those types mm -hmm. of reasons. And this particular measure, all, although it's not included in, you know, a, a kind of standard self-determination theory perspective, it also includes a drive subscale. So this idea that I have to satisfy my sex drive, which they, they differentiate a little bit from reasons such as it's pleasurable. So CNM participants also scored higher on this drive subscale. So they scored higher on things like I wanted to satisfy my own sex drive, I have a high sex drive, etc. So the consensually non-monogamous folks scored higher on some of these both kind of personal intrinsic reasons like pleasure and intimacy and also these value reasons like this is good for me or good for us. They were somewhat slightly more likely to say yes, that they had sex for these reasons than the monogamous folks. Yeah, exactly. Right. And were there any differences in the in the less autonomous reasons between these two groups? No, there weren't any differences. And in fact, the scores for those types of reasons were very low. So people didn't, people said that these weren't very common reasons for them, mm. uh, at least at their last sexual encounter. It wasn't a very common reason. And we see this in oh, other research good. as well, particularly when we're looking at long-term relationships or committed relationships generally. Uh, we find that people are reporting more of these kind of, you know, value-related reasons or pleasure-related reasons, right. attractiveness, et cetera, rather than because I'm trying to, you know, I, I, I'm afraid I'll be punished by my partner or I'm afraid my partner will leave me or because I wanted to receive some kind of uh, gift from my partner or something right. like that. When we're talking about it within the context of a long-term relationship, we tend to see less of those reasons. And even in my hookups research, these were by far lower and less likely to be reported than the than the autonomous reasons. So they are more common in, in hookup scenarios. You are more likely to see some of these less autonomous reasons than compared to relationship, long-term relationship uh, situations. But even in hookups, they are much less common than than the autonomous reason so that's all good good news mm -hmm, exactly all right so i'm team monogamy where did where did team monogamy outscore the cnm people was there anything on that or no no nowhere no. oh jeez. Um, all right only differences that we found i'll just leave then <laughs> no 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 don't don't get discouraged though as jessica was saying these are very small differences overall everybody said that they were not even one thing part. not even one thing monogamy went out on Nothing. No, this is not a competition. <laughs> yeah, it's not a competition. It's just looking at how people experience their sexual interactions. Okay. All right. Yeah. So CNN folks are slightly more driven by these more autonomous reasons in their, at least in their last sexual interaction. Okay. And how did that, were, were there any differences in how that played out in terms of how much they felt their psychological needs were being satisfied in that particular encounter and then how that related to their sexual and relationship satisfaction overall. Yeah. So we looked at, you know, that kind of model. We looked at like, okay, so if people are having sex for more of these self-determined reasons, is this related to how fulfilled they are? And does this relate to higher levels of satisfaction, whether that's relationship satisfaction or sexual satisfaction? And we also wanted to know, does this differ depending on whether they're in a consensually non-monogamous or monogamous relationship? And we found that no, it doesn't. Basically, we found that when people have sex for more of these self-determined reasons, they report higher levels of need fulfillment. And then when they purport higher levels of need fulfillment, they report higher levels of relationship and sexual satisfaction with their partner. And this was true regardless of whether they were in a consensually non-monogamous or a monogamous relationship. So there was no difference in this model. It wasn't stronger for one group of people versus the other. There, there weren't any changes in it if you were in a monogamous or a consensually non-monogamous relationship. So Basically, we see the same thing regardless of relationship structure. So, yeah, monogamous and non-monogamous relationships seem to 
are basically we're all the same. Yeah. Things work out the same way. If you're having sex for the right reasons, you get your needs met and that makes you happy with your partner. And it doesn't matter if you're open or not. Yeah, it's like the Us Weekly magazine. You know, stars are just like us monogamous people. They're just like you, Dr. Jana. <laughs> just like you. Yeah, and I think that's probably our biggest take-home message is that you know a person's motivations for sex appear more important to their relational well-being than their relationship structure. So when yeah. people feel like they're in control of their sexual encounters, they feel more satisfied psychologically or they feel more fulfilled psychologically and then they're happier in the relationships. Right. And yeah, and, and whether it's an open or not open relationship doesn't matter as long as you feel these things. And we forgot to ask, was there any difference in how much the needs, psychological, the three psychological needs were being fulfilled between monogamous and non-monogamous couples? No. There was and no. Okay. we also looked at their levels of relationship and sexual satisfaction, and there were no significant differences uh, there either. So... Okay. So there you know, are no connect. real differences in the in the reasons why people had sex. There were no differences in how much that satisfied their psychological needs for competence, autonomy, and relatedness. There was no difference in how sexually and relationally satisfied they were overall with their partners. And there was no difference in how these three things correlated with one another. So really, exactly. monogamous and non-monogamous folks, relationships are the same. Yeah, when it comes to sex. Yeah. When it comes to sex. Yes. Yes. Or <laughs> sexual reasons. No matter where you, what kind of relationship you're in. Great. Great. That's a great take-home message. So this episode, <laughs> we found a lot in common, Dr. Shana, you yeah. and I. This is this is bridge the gap. <laughs> Jessica, thank you so much. You you made us so much closer, Joe and I. Made made us possible to understand each other better. I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, it's only taken us uh, 54 episodes, so I'm glad. It's awesome. <laughs> No, but uh, joking aside, if you had to kind of translate this into some kind of take home message or not, not just a not just a takeaway, but also an applied advice that you could give to people, what would it be? Yeah. So one of the things that I often say is that having people just even think about their motives for sex or even their relationship motives. But this particular study, like thinking about your motives for sex and reflecting on your motives for sex and thinking about, okay, where do I fall on this continuum? Mm. And what would have to happen in my life? What kind of relationship changes? What kind of contextual changes? Uh, what would have to happen in my life for me to shift my motives to these more self-determined motives? So what would have to happen for me to have the kind of sex that would be more fulfilling? What would have to happen for me to want to have that kind of sex? And how just even reflecting on those things, I think, would really be one strategy that people could use to enhance their relationship well-being. Yes. Preach, woman, preach. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, no, I, th I think that's great. People don't often stop and think about, you know, why am I doing this? And it's important to stop and think about why you're doing it. And if you're finding yourself doing it with any amount of frequency for these not self-determined reasons, then as you were saying, maybe think about changing your life or relationship or partners that you're having sex with to create a more authentic, more self-determined way of acting because that reflects on other important things like well-being and satisfaction and functioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. This was amazing. Thank you so much you're for being, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the Science of Sex podcast, Jessica Wood. Thank you for having me. You know, Dr. Shannon, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but you have the nicest sex nerd friends. They're, they're really nice people. <laughs> I know. And I, and I got to give them credit because a lot of times I can come across as a bit of an idiot. So it's nice that they humor me every once in a while. And, you know, and I do notice this and I and it does make me feel proud when they say, that's a good question, Joe. <laughs> I feel like I get like a gold star on my paper I, at the end of the day. Your face just like, starts glowing <laughs> all of a sudden. Yeah. Like, it breaks into this big grin oh and... Yeah, you can, you can tell that it has a very good positive effect on <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, so I like all your friends and the fact that I, everyone's a well ask good question and it, it makes me it makes my soul glow. So yeah, I really, really appreciate that. Well, you know, sometimes you do ask good questions. You know, broken <laughs> clock is sometimes like, really twice a day. All right, thank you very much. Point. I appreciate that, Dr. John. And I can't believe this is the fall finale. And before we go, we should mention that it's the holidays. 
And, you know, I know this is going to sound like a really goofy segue, but there, nothing says I love you more than a sex toy. From, oh, my God. <laughs> come on, right? Isn't that for the one you love? Isn't that something you can get somebody? It is certainly a thing that you could get for someone you love, yourself included. Yes, for myself. <laughs> and, you and your segues. And we like, to tell, we, we like to tell people about Lalo.com. And we how, do because they are our sponsor yeah. for the podcast, so we do like to tell people about it. Yeah. So, you know, I know you're not a big holiday gift giver, but mm-hmm. if you want say you know hey listen go to the buy this product for someone as a gift for the holidays is there one you can suggest right before we go anything yeah i mean there's so many different options and we've covered a bunch of them already in previous podcasts so i'm gonna give you a little recap mm-hmm. of some of my favorites you have the lily two which is like this little handheld oh, i'm getting my pen so <laughs> okay the, the lily two okay <laughs> lily two which is a, an external clitoral massager that's very tiny and fits into your hand very easily. Then you have the Ina Wave, Ina which is Wave. a rabbit style vibrator that has both internal and external portion. And it also, the internal one does that up and down motion to hit the G spot a we little all better. Love that. Yep. Okay. Love that. Uh, the Tor, which is a vibrating cock ring. Tor, okay. Mm-hmm. The Loki and the Hugo. Both of which are prostate massagers, but okay. one has a handle, so you can kind of hold it yourself and put it in your butt, or your partner could do that as well. And then the Hugo is a prostate massager that doesn't have a handle. It kind of fits in a way that can stay inside, and you can go do other things, oh. right? Like Gardening. walk around, you can garden, you can sit in a restaurant, and it wow. also has remote control, so you, it opens up so many possibilities that you can do. But because it doesn't have like a, something sticking out of you, you can sit, oh, okay. you can walk you know, and oh, or yeah, you can do other things. You can play around with other things while you have it in. So that's a really fun one for people with prostates. And what else have we not mentioned? Oh, oh, the Sona Cruise, yep. which I recently experienced. That is great for the external portion of the clit, but it's a different kind. It's not a vibration. It's more of the sucking, sucking one. Yeah, yeah it's got the little hole in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know way too much about this. You stuff. do. <laughs> well done. You remember. That's amazing. So yeah, any of those, you can get all of these for twenty percent off with our discount code, which is science if you go to Lalo.com. All right, well, can you do me a favor? Can you find a couple new ones when we come back from our holiday break <laughs> to point out? Because sure. you've, you've already run down some of the favorites over there mm-hmm. at Lalo.com, but, you know, it's it's always good to have a lot of options. And, of course. And you seem to have a lot of <laughs> options. Well, there's some good stuff on Lalo.com. All right, Dr. Jana, sadly... We have to say goodbye for the holidays. Oh my God, so sad. I know. And I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you too. And I'm going to say this, but and you don't have to say it back, but Merry Christmas. No. <laughs> happy holidays. <laughs> How about happy holidays? But, think, but, but Hanukkah's already passed, so we, we, Merry Christmas. Is it? Yes. Oh. I do know this. So Merry Christmas. Well, Happy New Year's. All right. Come okay. On. Happy, <laughs> happy New, New Year. Year to Dr. Jana. <laughs> Bye. Bye. To connect with Dr. Jana and Joe, go to the scienceofsexpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Science of Sex Pod and follow us on Facebook at the Science of Sex Podcast. Subscribe now to listen to the weekly podcast.